This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Interesting new study out today from the School of Public Policy of the University of Calgary, looking at how post-secondary institutions need to adapt and evolve in a changing economy. And this is a challenge for universities, right? Sort of there's the short term. What are the, the jobs? What are the skills that are needed? What are the industries uh, that, that, that need skilled workers? But in the longer term, what are going to be those industries in 10 or 20 years? Right. And, you know, we've been through this conversation and certainly when it, the um, issue of autonomous vehicles comes up and we imagine a world in 20 years, say, where uh, jobs related to to automobiles, truck drivers, taxi cab, et cetera, those all vanish. And that perhaps there will be new jobs, new industries that arise. How do we know what those are going to be? And how nimble do post-secondary institutions need to be when it comes to giving students the skills they need to, to fill those industries in the future? Obviously, in Alberta, it, we have a unique situation where, you know, the oil and gas sector is in flux. And how do universities try to read the tea leaves, I guess, in understanding where things are at now, where things are going to be in five or ten years? Uh, so a new report released today. Taking a look at uh, that tough spot the post-secondary institutions find themselves in and offer some advice on where they need to go. Uh, joining us on the line to uh, talk more about this study and, uh, and what it recommends. Uh, very pleased to welcome the program, uh, renowned economist uh, Herb Emery. He's a Vaughn Chair in Regional Economics at the University of New Brunswick and co-author of this study, which you can find at policyschool.ca. Professor Emery, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Uh, so what's unique about the situation in 2017 that maybe universities didn't have to face five or ten years ago? Well, if you go back five or ten years ago, you'll remember that was the era of peak oil and Canada as an energy superpower. And the real challenge we had was developing the human capital and skills needed for the resource development around the oil sands and in anticipation of a robust export market and really uh, wealth creation and perpetuity around resource place. And then by the time we got to 2015, with the drop in prices, when we first started writing this study, the initial question we had was, should we be planning for a short downturn, a more prolonged, like 1985? And then under those scenarios, how should the institutions be planning ahead? Um, would there be a dominant strategy, or would it really come down to what's the gamble they want to take? All right. And so what goes into making those decisions? Are universities the ones planning ahead and saying we're going to have X number of students uh, studying to be geologists uh, or engineers, for example, or are they responding to, wow, we've got a lot of students who want to go into these, uh, in, in, into these courses, into these sectors that we need to, to be able to respond to that? Well, I think it's been a bit of both because you are, you're always going to have demand by students to take programs putting pressure on to add enrollment or add capacity in other institutions if they can't get into a program of their choice in the established program. 
But in other cases, we've seen where there's an anticipation from industry that they know they're going to have projects that need people with certain trades or certain training, and you would see programs being started up in anticipation of that and being resourced. And because there was a tight link between the energy sector and its demand for labor in those programs, typically there were markets for those graduates right away. That's a little bit different when you think about anticipating an industry that may not exist yet or may not have a reason to exist here, like a clean tech uh, sector that's being chased all over the country and the globe right now. Uh, if you're going to build something like solar panels and you start to create those programs around developing that industry, if it doesn't emerge, then you've taken a gamble and the students are going to bear the consequences and the taxpayer. Right. And I mean, you know, it's entirely possible that, you know, the, the uh, oil and gas industry in Alberta will rebound maybe maybe more than even some think. So it, it, you, you're trying to read the crystal ball here, and that, that, that's a difficult thing to do. Well, you have to remember the rebound in the oil sands really came about first because of policy before the price cycle. Mm-hmm. That under Klein, there really was a push towards building on strength with the resource base. And, you know, pushing for programs and innovation around developing the oil sands resource, making it competitive with other providers around the globe. Uh, then there was complementary investment in greening the oil sands, trying to make them better off, all in, again, in anticipation this was going to be a major driver. And the price cycle kind of showed them that that was correct, that, you know, when energy demand was going through the roof, it looked like a really good play. But if you go back to the 1980s, which is a situation that's pretty close to what we may be in now with Alberta is you're in a prolonged slump and everyone kept waiting for the energy sector to come back and the deficit kept mounting and you wound up with a bunch of industrial diversification initiatives that didn't go anywhere. And if you think about the challenge with the programs then, what are you training kids for when there's no jobs? Are you training them for export opportunities elsewhere? Are you trying to make them more adaptable or are you going to try and drive some other industry? So it's a really tough problem at the system level, which is where the government needs to think about it. Okay, so are are institutions, I mean, are they looking at at sort of five-year cycles, or is this more about even looking beyond five years, 10, 20 years down the road? To be honest, not having been in the room with a lot of the strategic planning, I'm not sure what the time horizon often is, other than it's going to take five years often to get a program even up and running. Right. (laughs) So... It's got to be at least a decade horizon, and then when you add in the hiring of people can be for decades. When you start one of these programs or areas of expertise, you're really setting a program in motion for potentially decades. So decisions today are going to have a big impact potentially in future because once you tenure professors, it's not like you can just shed them and send them somewhere else. So does the Alberta government have some say here? I mean, do, do we leave it to these institutions to try to figure out what, what direction they need to go and maybe respond in, in ways to, to what others are offering and, and try to find their own niche? Or does there need to be some direction from the Alberta government? Well, there's been two sources of this so far. One is if you've been following the federal government super cluster type initiatives and research funding through the government as opposed to traditional granting agencies, they've been trying to direct um, innovation research in Canada, including which institutions will be the winners, like under artificial intelligence, um, by using large amounts of funding for particular types of research and training, so to get more Googles in Canada type thing. Then in other cases, you'll see that there's been attempts to, say, do mandate letters where you don't allow institutions to just pick whatever they want to do. They're going to be constrained into what they're seen as being excellent in, and they'll grow in those areas and be the 
particular site you would go to for those programs as opposed to this uncoordinated approach of everyone trying to develop their own programs. So government can try and set boundaries, but it hasn't always worked in other jurisdictions. And someone reminded me earlier today that the Redford government and Thomas Lacuzic had gone down that path a bit, um, trying to figure out a better way to rationalize resources in post-secondary, and it hadn't worked out so well. But we have to also remember that when Ralph Klein came in in 1993, he didn't do what I would call thoughtful restructuring of post-secondary. He just hammered the budget and made it access a requirement. And there was also incentives for innovation and new programs. But that was a case that because there was no planning ahead by the institutions, they kind of had the the uh, fiscal retrenchment done to them as opposed to working in advance of it to protect what was really important and excellent about their programs and uh, carrying forward from there to be able to build on their own strength. Well, it's interesting because a lot of these these big universities, I mean, they, they've been around literally for decades and decades that we've seen all kinds of enormous changes uh, in the economy and even, even here in Alberta, and, and they've adapted uh, over time. What's to think that they won't figure it out this time? Well, they will figure out. Universities will be what they're going to be. They, the issue is really around what do we think our universities are for. So we can have world-class research institutions and colleges with amazing training programs, and they could be just an industry in and of themselves processing our raw human resources into human capital for export or use here if there's demand for it. But there's also this tension historically that universities have been seen as an R&D capacity for the local economy to be able to exploit its economic opportunities, say in agriculture or natural resources. And a lot of the research mission that was around in training of programs were aimed at supplying skills for the local market. And in a lot of places like New Brunswick, where I'm living now, you see increasing calls from the government for post-secondary educations to align their programs more with the skills needs in the region. And there's a real tension in that the institutions don't always want to do that. And then often you'll see even the private sector stepping up to resource programs to get colleges to produce the skills they need. And colleges have often across the country been much more receptive to this direction of building programs to meeting local needs in the moment now as opposed to building research capacity for a global intellectual market. And what about industry? I mean, you know, does industry help guide these universities by, you know, saying, look, here's where we face challenges, here's where we face shortages, these are the kind of skills that, that we need to, do universities need to line up to some extent with, with needs of certain industries? So this is what's been interesting is there's been a real push from universities to have traditional grant funding, which is the professors will define the research agenda and do their curiosity-driven research, let's say, and even applied examples. But we saw under the Harper government um, a desire to see more industry participation and alignment with industry in applied research agendas, and we're seeing it even stronger under the Trudeau government with, again, the cluster-type funding and a lot of the programs where they're looking for um, institutions, universities and private sector uh, partnership on a lot of R&D investments. So there's no easy answer here, right? There's no simple formula that universities can adapt and, and that will provide them the answer, right? They're, they're going to have to struggle with this. So the, the reason there's no simple answer is because at the end of the day, whatever these 
organizations are going to do and choose to be excellent at is going to be guided by someone's decision about what's the objective for them. Mm-hmm. What would define excellence for the post-secondary system? What would do it for an institution? It's going to come down to the values of taxpayers and students. What do they see the post-secondary system is for? Do they see it as a research capacity? Do they see it as where they're going to get their degrees that gets them jobs? And government is supposed to be the group that kind of coordinates all these stakeholder interests and provides a roadmap. And there's a real tension in post-secondary right now between should universities have any orientation towards the local market or are we part of a larger global intellectual marketplace? And the challenge is is I'm not sure that we've had that conversation with taxpayers and students who are the major funders. And my real worry is that as we see provincial government deficits mounting across the country, and if interest rates start to keep climbing and we start winding up in a situation like the early 1990s, and we know that the budget can't keep growing at 2% per year, what's the plan going forward to make sure that we maintain the excellence in the system? And it strikes me that the one lesson we should have taken from the 1990s is that if we're smart enough to understand that there's a risk of a deficit crisis, maybe it's time to start doing some kind of coordinated planning. But of course, I mean, you know, post-secondary, it's, it's not monolith, obviously. I mean, you know, how, how people view SAITs and the role that SAIT plays is probably a lot different than how people view the University of Calgary and how the role that the University of Calgary plays. Oh, absolutely. And what's really remarkable at a post-secondary system is the diversity of programs and offerings and even the priority of making sure programs are available in different locales and different types of programs, what they may emphasize. So engineering schools in one place may be quite different. You might see SAIT doing a program in applied technology that looks a lot like an engineering program. So what we're also seeing is a lot of the traditional boundaries between uh, colleges and universities are blurring increasingly, and in some cases they've been made universities. And we have to start thinking about when business studies are going to be offered in universities and colleges, are we looking at differentiated products? Are we looking at competing uh, programs? How is the marketplace receiving these programs? Are they good uses of public money? And these are questions that I'm not sure have been answered because in a lot of cases it has been demand-driven under the robust energy sector. But without that robust labor demand there, we're going to have to start taking a harder look at what the labor market is actually demanding and what students really want to take. Yeah, really interesting. Well, more again, uh, as mentioned, policyschool.ca. Herb Emery, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. No problem. All right. That's economist Herb Emery, co-author of this uh, study released today by the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary. And it's an important issue. I think universities need to confront it. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's a risk they're taking. It's, it's a gamble you're making. So, you know what? I, we, just, we feel five years from now, you know, the kinds of skills that are needed today in, in the energy sector, they're not going to be as important in five years. And we need to train people to build solar panels and all of this kind of stuff. Well, what if that doesn't happen? So maybe you need to let universities figure it out because maybe some will get it right, some will get it wrong. If the directive from the province is that all universities need to go in a certain direction, well, then if they're wrong, then all of them are wrong. And that's not good. All right, 403-974-8255 is the number. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.